Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in England, Chamakko Sandu from Toronto in Canada. Looking back on a big weekend for the UFC heavyweight division, which is getting crowded, more crowded by the week almost, Sandu. Derek the Black Beast Lewis taking on Curtis Blades. I was absolutely convinced that Curtis Blades was just going to wrestle his way to a win here. And wouldn't you know, Derek Lewis comes in there with some solid takedown defense and an uppercut from the heavens. And Curtis Blades is knocked out with one punch. And Derek Lewis is now the highest ranked contender uh, who isn't in a title fight. We've got Steve Miocic and Francis Ngannou who are going to face off at 260. Lewis is next in line. It's uh, It was a big, big weekend for the Black Beast. What did you, what did you make of it? Mate, the guy has got some power in his hands. We've seen him do it before, but it never ceases to amaze me when a heavyweight like Derek Lewis produces a highlight reel knockout like the one he did on the weekend. And you know what? I think people need to start putting some respect on Derek Lewis's name. Uh, the, the bookies and the odd, odds makers had him as a major underdog going into this contest. You talked about his, his takedown defense, Simon. Bang on. I mean, Curtis Blades attempted to take him down in the first round and, and Lewis kind of just was able to shrug him off. And my word, Derek Lewis, he's fought for the UFC heavyweight championship once in the past. I was at that fight against Daniel Cormier, but he is in a really good spot right now, Simon. He's on a fantastic win streak. I think this is the best run or equals to his the best run he's ever had uh, in the UFC. He just knocked out a highly ranked opponent. He's in the mix at the top end of the UFC heavyweight division. Miocic and Nganu are fighting very, very soon. So Lewis can just kick back and relax and see how things play out there. You've got the allure of John Jones moving up to heavyweight you know, happening pretty soon. All in all, it must be pretty good to be Derek Lewis right now, Simon. I would imagine so. I would imagine so. You know, he picked up, I think he picked up a, a performance of the night bonus as well. So a little cheeky little 50 grand on top of his uh, his fight salary so no no bad things there but i mean that was such a big fight for the heavyweight division you look at both those guys it was kind of win or go home time for both of them really i mean curtis blades was in a bit of a tricky spot yeah he was the incumbent he was like the number consensus number 3 heavyweight in the ufc behind francis ngannou and stepe miocic and he'd already been absolutely blasted out of the cage twice by francis ngannou so his path to the title shot was dependent on getting a big win this past weekend and Stipe Miocic winning convincingly against Francis Ngannou and then probably beating uh, John Jones when he arrives in the UFC. So Blades is now lost and he lost by knockout. Um, even though he's only ever lost to two different people in the UFC, where does he go from here? I mean, we'll talk about Lewis in a minute, but for me, the more interesting one is what on earth happens with Curtis Blades? because his path to the top seems to be pretty blocked off right now. Um, and I can't see anything better than gatekeeper status for him, which is insane, given that he's, without a doubt, a top five heavyweight in the UFC. It's a tricky spot for him. It's a very tough spot for him, because I think had he beaten Lewis, he was going to probably be, you know, I don't know, fighting the loser of Miocic Ngannou. You know, or or at least be you know even used in some of the behind the scenes negotiations with regards to John Jones coming up because that John Jones heavyweight fight isn't a done deal. We've seen John Jones throw throw out a few things on social media recently, kind of just reiterating his desire to come up to heavyweight and his desire uh, to fight for the title. But you know, and and it's they seem you know him and Dana White seem to be in a good spot, but nothing's finalized, nothing's a done deal until contracts are signed and. Blades would have been in a good situation there. That spot has now been given to Derek Lewis. So I think Derek Lewis moving forward um, could be used in a variety of different ways, um, depending on how things shake out with that UFC heavyweight title fight. But where Blades goes from here, I would imagine maybe the winner or loser of this weekend's heavyweight fight between Jarzinho Rosenstruck or Cyril Gane. Um, he definitely has a little bit of work to do, Simon. I think to kind of get back into the mix. I mean, when you get, def- you know, when you lose and get knocked out in the fashion that he did in, in such, you know, emphatic fashion like that, it's 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 tough because that's the lasting memory people have of your last performance, isn't it? Um, and of course, you know, Dana White wasn't too happy with his performance and and post fight 
um, comments, you know, from his last outing back in 2020. So it's not exactly been in the UFC's good graces, but yeah, tough spot for Blades. And um, who knows if uh, if he's thinking about fighting out his contract, maybe think about fighting elsewhere down the road. Can you imagine, you know, like had he won this fight and if Nganu defeats Miocic, he was going to be in a tough spot anyway, having already lost twice to Nganu. So his stock has only gone lower now because of this performance. It's a weird one, isn't it? I mean, even, even in his media uh, interviews leading into the fight, he basically said, look, I know you guys hate the fact that I just go in there and wrestle guys, but that's what I'm going to do. That, 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 that is what I do. And while that's obviously him strain to, staying true to himself and, and staying true to his, his, uh, his strengths, it comes across a little bit. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a little bit aloof, a little bit offish in terms of the way he sometimes comes across and that, that sometimes isn't intentional, I'm sure. But given the things he'd said leading in and, what he'd said after his previous fight and then to go in. The trouble is when you don't have a crowd pleasing fighting style for better or worse, if you've not got a crowd pleasing fighting style and you get beat, the downside or the fall seems to be a lot harder than if, imagine if Derek Lewis had lost on, on the scorecards and just been sort of smothered for five rounds. Derek Lewis could come back again. No problem at all because he's a knockout artist. He's got, well, he now has the record for the most heavyweight knockouts of all time. And I think he's tied with Vitor Belfort now for, for knockouts of all time. So in, in all weight classes. So, you know, we know what we're going to get from him. It just so happens that against someone like Curtis Blades, maybe we weren't going to. But we did. We did. We got the big knockout. So Lewis is now, this was a trap fight for Lewis. He's through that fight. Now the tricky thing is what happens with him. But for Blades, very quickly, just to chuck my two penny thing, we've seen fighters ask for their release and get it. In, the, in in as recently as a few months ago, um, I think Corey Anderson was released with fights left on his contract to join Bellator, just as an example. Could Curtis Blades benefit from trying to do something like that? Um, I don't know if he's enormously popular within the UFC brass in terms of his fighting style. He's not a big box office fighter. Yeah, he's good, but his, his role now is just going to be to to uh, derail other prospects on the way up right now, pretty much, or other contenders who might be more more uh, appealing for the TV audience or for the UFC audience. So could he potentially ask for his release and get it given to him and maybe head over to a Bellator, or if he's quick enough, get in that PFL tournament? I don't know whether they've fully filled out their heavyweight tournament roster. I think there might be a space or two left in there. Who knows? Imagine that going from losing a what was effectively a, a number one contender fight, although kind of a kind of a delayed number one contender fight, because um, it won't be the next one, and then maybe walking away from the UFC and then stepping into a tournament for a million dollars. That might not be a bad idea, um, and that's not me wanting Curtis Blades to leave the UFC. I'm just thinking from a career perspective. Change might be as good as a rest for him. He's going to need a rest, though. He was going to be on six-month medical suspension after that knockout. But um, what do you make of that as a potential option? Do you think if you're Curtis Blades' manager, do you think that that's something that he should be considering right now, do you think? Maybe. I mean, I think the six-month um, suspension will rule him out of getting involved in the PFL season. Good point. Um, yep. So we can put the kibosh on that one. The Bellator situation is interesting because obviously they're looking to make a, you know as much noise as possible this year, especially with their Showtime deal. They're, they're always looking to add to the roster. But if I'm Curtis Blades or anyone in the UFC, and if I'm thinking about kind of playing that game with regards to asking for a release, you know, earlier than my contract um, you know, is, is due to expire, to see and shop around with the likes of Bellator or a One Championship or any other promotion. You'll want to try and do it coming off a win, Simon. Coming off a devastating loss like that doesn't give you too many, you know, chips to play with on the, on the bargaining table, right? And, and the negotiation table. Um, so if I'm him, I weather the storm, you know, kick back, chill, relax, see how the rest of these heavyweight fights play out. Like I said, especially this weekend's main event. 
Um, maybe he can try and you know fight the winner. Maybe he ends up fighting the loser. Um, but it, all he needs to do is just get one win if, in fact, he does want to play that game and try and see if he can finagle a, a better deal elsewhere, especially for, I guess, career longevity. We've already discussed um, you know, his past with the UFC, his performances. A lot of his performances haven't exactly been fan-friendly. People watch heavyweight fights for one reason and one reason only, Simon, most of the time, and that's to see devastating knockouts. And the Black Beast delivered, Curtis Blades did not. Yeah, and uh, the man who delivered now needs another fight. And he's in a tricky spot because, as, as we mentioned at the top of the show, the belt is being contested at UFC 260. Stipe Miocic is going to put his title on the line in a rematch against Francis Ngannou. Now, under normal circumstances, a guy coming off a crushing one-punch knockout of the third guy in the division, third-ranked guy in the division, he should be next. But, of course, we have John Jones. And John Jones changes everything. And I think Dana White is as good as... I don't think it's official, official, but Dana White is as good as said John Jones has got next, right? He's going to be fighting the winner of Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou. So that means that Derek Lewis, unless he wants to sit around for pretty much eight, nine months, he's going to want another fight. He's going to want to keep things rolling. So where do we pitch him? This is this is the question. How do we do this? And for me, there's a couple of options available to him. One of them is that he could face the winner of this weekend's heavyweight fight between Jazino Rosenstreich and Cyril Gane, which we will talk about a little bit later in the show. The winner of that is going to need a big fight. Derek Lewis needs a big fight. That almost becomes a de facto title eliminator at that point. So that's an option. But the one that I prefer is that Derek Lewis actually faces the loser of the UFC 260 title fight between Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou. I think that keeps him right in there. I think that then means that John Jones can step in, face the winner, and then Derek Lewis beats whoever whoever loses that fight. It means that they're then on the same timeline, pretty much. They can be on the same timeline. Derek Lewis wants to wants a three round fight as well. He said in the post fight press conference he doesn't want five rounds. He wants three rounds. You could do that if they're the co main event to John Jones versus. Miocic or John Jones versus Ngannou and you have the loser against Derek Lewis in the co-main three rounds that could be done so that's that's what I would do but what would you do it's a lot of if this then that and I think that's the whole situation with with Derek Lewis if Stipe Miocic wins he's just done the double over Francis Ngannou right if Stipe Miocic wins then it comes down to okay is the UFC going to get a deal done with John Jones? If they can, great. Then we've got a super fight. Miocic versus John Jones. If they can't get that deal done with John Jones, Simon, then in steps Derek Lewis, who is a worthy number one contender. And if I'm Steve Miocic, I'm probably favoring my chances of defeating Derek Lewis. And also, that's a fresh matchup. We have never seen Steve Miocic versus Derek Lewis. So that's a potential situation if Steve Miocic wins. Now, if Francis Ngannou wins, again, very similar. First things first, does the UFC get a deal done with John Jones? If they can't, however, then with Francis Ngannou, you've got a few different options. You could do the trilogy fight with Miocic, which, again, if Miocic loses, I'm sure that's what he'll be clamoring for straight away is to try and get his belt back. And the UFC loves rematches and trilogies, inbuilt storyline, all the rest of it. However, there is also the possibility of Derek Lewis versus Francis Ngannou 2. And this time around, Francis Ngannou can fight someone, much like Miocic, who he has uh, a loss against. But the, the conversation and the topic of conversation coming out of this fight right now, especially in the last 24, 48 hours, Simon, is who has the, the most knockout power in the UFC heavyweight division? Is it Francis Ngannou or is it Derek Lewis? You talked about Derek Lewis, you know, tying the all-time record of knockouts in UFC his history with Vitor Belfort. He's got the most knockouts in the heavyweight division history with the UFC. His not his next KO, and he's the ultimate record holder. All weight classes in UFC history. So yeah, I love the idea of fight, him fighting Ngannou. Uh, it's a rematch, 
and obviously you can kind of promote it as the the two most powerful destructive forces in the heavyweight division but for me simon there is still so so many variables for variables out there like i said it's a lot of if this then that for lewis it's a patient waiting game i don't want to see him try and fight anybody else in the top 10 i'm sorry but volkov the winner of this weekend's fight no if i'm lewis and to do a little bit of career management his next fight should either be for the title or it should be a marquee fight whether that's introducing john jones to the heavyweight division or facing the loser of Miocic and Garnu, who are going to be in a massive fight very, very soon. So patient game, and let's see what happens. And then Lewis can, you know, put himself in a nice situation, regardless of who he fights. Yeah, the heavyweight division is getting pretty, uh, pretty crowded and pretty excited. There's so much going on. We've got, we've got new contenders moving their way up. We've got some some young guns joining the division and doing the business. We'll mention them in a second as well. We had a couple of those on Saturday night's card, but the heavyweight division. Is, is absolutely on fire right now. And a lot of it stems from the fact that a certain John Jones is arriving. And uh, it just adds a new X factor to it all. We've got the greatest heavyweight champion in UFC history in Stipe Miocic, the scariest heavyweight in UFC history in Francis Ngannou, the greatest knockout artist in UFC heavyweight history in Derek Lewis, and then arguably the greatest pure athlete in MMA history in John Bones Jones. So what a lineup we've got as they try and make sense of the UFC heavyweight division in 2021. It's going to be a lot of fun, however it all pans out. Uh, and we've got a big fight this weekend, which, again, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Co-main event, Sandu. Uh, Yana Kunitskaya versus Ketlin Vieira went to a decision. Yana Kunitskaya got the job done. Bit of an upset win if you take a look at the rankings. Um I don't know what that does for the for the division too much, but Amanda Nunes being the champion at 135 pounds, what is clear is the UFC needs new blood, needs new contenders because there are a lot of fighters in that division, but Amanda Nunes is just is just treating them with utter disdain in terms of when she when she gets them in the cage, she just destroys people, and uh, we don't know how much longer Amanda is going to be fighting. She, you know, she's got a family now; she's still competing in two weight classes, but. Um, it's a tricky one for the for the matchmakers at bantamweight and at featherweight. At least they've got a roster at bantamweight, though, Sandu. I mean, I don't know if I could envisage either of those two women fighting Amanda Nunes for the belt yet, though. That's my that's my problem. Yeah, probably not. I mean, I don't know how you scored it, but from what I saw, it could have gone either way. I saw a lot of people can you know say that they scored it for Caitlin Vieira. She was dominant in that third and final round. I think. Yana Kunitskaya, just in that final minute, was able to turn the tables and land a few elbows and strikes, which kind of busted open Caitlin Vieira and, you know, a lot of blood gushing from her head there, which may have kind of swayed the judges in terms of how they scored that round, which is maybe perfectly fine. I'm not a judge, you know, but um, it could have gone either way there. But yeah, I mean, look, I think, you know, I saw an announcement recently that um, the UFC are looking to book Holly Holm versus Juliana Pena. Um, if I'm the UFC and looking for a potential contender, for for Amanda Nunes down the road, if Juliana Pena wins, she probably becomes a front runner at bantamweight for Amanda Nunes. But you know, Nunes has been just running rampant through that division. She's got her hands full with Megan Anderson, you know, in short order, and um, we'll see how that kind of fight plays out. But yeah, she'll probably end up fighting maybe once more this year after this featherweight contest. And it's all you know, everyone in that bantamweight division is going to be jockeying for position to to try and get a title fight against Amanda Nunes but yeah I just can't see anyone beating her I think she's not be she'll be as dominant as she's ever been and yeah I mean with regards to her starting a family Simon I know she has mentioned hey I'm not talking about retirement anytime soon and you know if she's that dominant why not continue to you know pick up the paychecks you know a few fights a year for the next two three four five years if you're that dominant and there's that much of a gap between your skill set and everybody else in the division, who's to say she can't continue to reign uh, supreme for many, many years to come? Yeah, for me, there are there are basically two fights that are feasible um, within the next few years for her that I would love to see. One is a rematch with Valentina Shevchenko at bantamweight. I think Valentina has pushed her harder than anybody at 135 pounds. And I've been on record as saying I thought Valentina won. I think it was the first meeting um, between the pair. Um, but the other fight that isn't isn't within range yet, but could be 
within a year or two is uh, Kayla Harrison. Uh, Kayla Harrison, she's going to be competing in the lightweight female PFL tournament or season. Um, but she has had a fight at 45, at 145 pounds. And I think that's long-term where she wants to be. She wants to, I think she wants to get through the PFL, get herself another million dollar check, and then get herself over to the UFC and be a real threat to Amanda Nunes. That would be a huge fight. The problem Amanda Nunes has got, I'm sure Amanda Nunes would love to fight at 45 constantly, right? Because it's an easier, it's much easier on the body, but there's no division. All of the, all, all, all of the athletic talent is at 35. So it's all a little bit lopsided. So it'd be interesting to see what she does. Um, but yeah, we had uh, two potential contenders uh, and it was a bit of a disputed, bit of a disputed uh, result on Saturday night. Also on the card, I'll just quickly run down uh, Derek Minner against Charles Rosa, two grapplers. Minner, who has been underrated ever since he joined the UFC, looked outstanding. Great performance by him. He got the unanimous decision. I think that ended a run of 13 straight submission wins. Like, uh, he, you know, he's had some losses in, in amongst it, but in terms of his victories, his previous 13 wins had all come by submission. Um, that one come on the scorecards, but that was a big win for him. The one... I, well, the two heavyweight fights, the ones I really wanted to talk to you about. Chris Dorcas versus Alexei Olenek. Tom Aspinall versus Andre Arlovsky. Both of them straight out the same playbook. New up-and-coming contender with bags of potential. Stick them in with a grizzled veteran who's been there, seen it, done it, and is ludicrously tough. Tom Aspinall finishes Andre Arlovsky via second-round submission after almost finishing him with strikes in the first round. Chris Dorcas absolutely blitzes Alexia Lenick, finishes him in under two minutes with strikes in the first round in their belt. Two big performances from two relatively new uh, heavyweights in the UFC. What did you make of their performances and uh, who stood out most to you or which one impressed you most? Both fantastic performances, Simon. Uh, for me, though, it was all about Tom Aspinall. Just that exchange in the first round against Andrei Olovsky, where he kind of, I think, let off like 14 strikes with a mixture of punches and elbows and body shots. Just beautiful to see a heavyweight move the way he does and land the kind of strikes he was able to land on a veteran uh, and a really solid fighter in, in Andrei Olovsky. And uh, I said it after the fight on social media, and I'll say it now. I think we can now finally start to get excited about the prospect of the UK producing a UFC heavyweight champion in the future. Now, he's got a long way to go. Of course he does. But just seeing the raw talent on display, he's got three fights in the UFC in the last seven months since he made his debut. He's won all three. This was his toughest challenge today. A former UFC heavyweight champion, you know, Andre Olovsky's been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, has seen it all and done it all. And he put him away with relative ease, I must say. So really, really excited about Tom Aspinall. Um, like I said, you know, we've got Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua in boxing. Why not Tom Aspinall be that guy in mixed martial arts at the top of the game in the UFC? So I'm very curious to see how he progresses especially this year and uh, and you know what you, you you mentioned the other fight and it's funny because you know in his post fight interview tom aspinall also mentioned hey i'd like to fight the winner of one of the other heavyweight fights and chris dorcas man he put on a fantastic uh, performance against alexi olenik and very much like the, the aspinall olofsky fight simon you've got two young up-and-comers against two veterans of the game we're now starting to see i think a bit of a turnover in the UFC heavyweight division. If I'm being honest, I wasn't too clued up on Chris Dorcas. Um, I think my eyeballs were all on Tom Aspinall, just kind of, you know, looking at the, the prospect of, uh, of a UFC heavyweight. And he was definitely uh, you know, my personal focus when I was on BT Sport duty on Saturday night. But why not? Let's have the two guys now who came off fantastic wins, these two young up-and-comers, Tom Aspinall, and Chris Dorcas next. I would love to see those two fight to see, you know, who is the cream of the crop of the next generation. Both guys walked away with a with a cool fifty fifty thousand dollar bonus in their back pocket, which I thought was was uh, much deserved. The other big heavyweight fight in the car was the first fight of the night: Sergey Spivak versus Jared Vandera. Spivak getting a good win. Spivak has been called out by Tom Aspinall twice, 
<laughs> they haven't made that fight. Uh, Aspinall seems to have bypassed that now, and he seems to be operating at a high level. He's just beaten a UFC heavy, a former UFC heavyweight champion. So I'm not sure he's going to get that Sergey Spivak fight. I would rather they didn't put Aspinall in there with Dorcas. I'll be honest with you. I think you look at the heavyweight division, especially at the sharp end of it, packed with older statesmen, shall we say, veteran fighters, guys who are either at their peak or perhaps a little bit past their peak in some cases. I think we've got this new crop coming through. Keep them separate. Keep them separate. Build them up. And if they end up fighting in a number one contender fight, then great. Or, you know, something that's going to get them on the cusp of a title shot, that's the time to do it. But I think, why hand one of them an L at this point? I don't, I, I, I would look to give them another veteran opponent with some name recognition. Blagoy Ivanov is, is knocking around. Junior Dos Santos, although he's on an absolutely terrible run of form right now, Aspinall also mentioned him in his post-fight press conference. So there are there are some names knocking around that they could put Dorcas and Aspinall in there with. I'd keep them separate, but I agree with you with the whole British heavyweight thing. It's so exciting to think that we might have a guy who could really make a run at this. Um, he's young. He's got he's got a good head on his shoulders. You know, you, you listen to the way he talks to the press. Um, he's bantering with the press during the media day. And uh, he's got a good sense of humor, but he's also got, he's also very sort of human about it all as well. He, d he doesn't seem to have a, an enormous ego. You know, he mentioned after the fight that he was absolutely terrified that he was going to go in there and fight Andre Olovsky. And he said he's scared before every fight. Fighters typically don't say things like that. Um, George St. Pierre did, I remember once. Um, Aspinall turned around and said something very similar on Saturday night. So, I love the way he puts himself across. He's very authentic and he's got incredibly good hands for a heavyweight, like fast hands. And the, the only two things I think he did wrong, if I was going to be so brave as to critique his performance from a technical standpoint, when he was raining those shots in on Arlovsky, I thought a lot of them were wasted shots because I don't think he was going to finish Arlovsky with body shots. And I think he hit him with about eight in a row. I think if he'd have brought a few of them up, a, so a, brought a few of them up as uppercuts or had just gone over the top with a few big shots to the head, I think he'd have got that first-round knockout that he was chasing there. And the only other thing that worried me a little bit was when Arlovsky was blitzing him with punches, there were one or two occasions where he was backing up in a straight line with his head really high and his chin up in the air. So that's the sort of thing that he hasn't really had to do that much in his MMA career because he's just gone through everybody. Um, but I think those little defensive tweaks, I think, will probably be something that he ends up working on in the gym, making sure he's not backing up in straight lines. He's not holding his chin so high. Because um, when it comes to the offensive stuff, he looks like he's got it all. And I tweeted straight after the win, Sandu. Did you think he was a, a one-trick pony? Think again. Because I don't think many people expected him to get a submission um, of any form in his UFC career. You know, I think they just thought, oh, it's another Brit who can strike. Well, his dad's the jiu-jitsu coach at Team Calbon, so uh, he certainly knows his way around the mats, and uh, he showed that he was more than happy to slap a rear naked choke on Andre Olovsky. There was only the second submission loss in Olovsky's very, very long and distinguished MMA career. So big wins for Aspinall. And Dorcas as well, former CFFC fighter, did a lot of good stuff for the East Coast promotion. I like him a lot. I think he's he's good fun to watch. He's fast as well for a heavyweight. He's got good hands. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do as well. Very, very quickly, final fight on the card, uh, on, on the main card, rather. Phil Hawes against Nasruddin Imavov. Imavov from France, a guy who a lot of people were quite high on. Phil Hawes has had a lot of hype around him. And it was a weird fight because Hawes got the, the majority decision win. But he was really close to getting stopped in that final round, Sandu. I don't know how much, I don't know how close you were watching that one. You were probably on social media uh, overdrive after the Espinal fight. But Hawes looked in in a pretty bad way in that last round. He was doing a chicken dance all over the cage, but he managed to stick around and uh, he got the decision win. Yeah, you're bang on, Simon. <laughs> the minute Espinal won, I was all over that one. Uh, getting the finish out, post-fight interview, um, and other bits and pieces for social media. Because obviously, you know, him being a UK fighter and BT Sport being a British broadcast part of the UFC, we tend to go big on the Brits. And so I actually, 
completely missed everything to do um, with the with the following fight between Hawes and Imanov. I literally just got time uh, to, to clip off the the decision at the end. So I would love to weigh in, Simon, but I'm trying to be honest here, and I can't I can't talk about something I did not see. That's fair enough. One more thing I wanted to chuck in there from from the prelims. We are the Brit Pack. And she was born in Scotland. Casey O'Neill making her UFC debut. Fights out of Australia, lives in Australia these days. But she was born in Scotland, moved when she was like 10 or 12, I think. Um, UFC debut, really, really, really good uh, debut performance. TKO finish with Shayna Dobson in the second round. And uh, as some of you might know, I do the, uh, the rookie report feature for MMA Junkie every week. And I was super impressed, super impressed with her performance. I gave her a B plus. I have to give him grades like a head teacher, Sandu. I feel feel like such a fraud. Um, but um, yeah, I gave her a B plus. I thought it was outstanding, and uh, she's going to be a lot of fun to watch in that flyweight division. So um, just wanted to quickly give her a mention. But yeah, that that was UFC Fight Night one eight five Blades versus Lewis, which we had uh, live on BT Sport and UFC Fight Pass this past weekend. Uh, before we kick on and talk about this weekend's main event, Sandu, we've got a couple of bits and pieces to uh, to sort of tick off the list first, yeah? We certainly do. And our man, Leon Edwards, Simon, finally has a fight. And it's a short-notice opponent in Bilal Mohammed, who just come off a win uh, literally a week ago. And look, Leon's had a rough, rough couple of years. I mean, he was supposed to fight Tyron Woodley, and, and that was going to be a huge fight. Just prior to COVID, everyone remembers or should remember that fantastic promo by BT Sport and all the bells and whistles were being thrown at him um, in, the, in the lead up to that fight in London. That falls apart. And then he's obviously trying to angle for an immediate title fight. That doesn't happen. Gilbert Burns goes on his run. Leon Edwards becomes the forgotten man. At one point, he's removed from the rankings. Then he accepts a fight against Hamzat Shemaev, like who was the rock star breakthrough fighter of 2020. That fight falls apart, not once, but twice. And now all of a sudden, he's fighting Bilal Muhammad. I personally think, Simon, for Leon Edwards, it's good to be active, to remind people who he is. It's a worthy opponent in Bilal Muhammad. And quite honestly, a win here, and he should just be fighting for the title next. Now, the only problem is if Kamaru Usman and Masvidal end up doing tough, that's going to lock them away for a couple of months. And then there'll be a lead up to a pay-per-view. And even if Leon Edwards wins and is angling for a title shot next, it might not be until the end of the year before he gets that opportunity, depending on how things shake out with the, the welterweight championship you know, picture. But we can't talk about if this, that, and the other down the road. We're going to talk about the, the here and now. And right now, Leon needs to fight. I'm sure he wouldn't mind a paycheck from competing in the UFC. It's been a while. And uh, for Bilal Mohamed, Simon, this is a great opportunity for him. It's a, it's a main event situation. It's the first main event of his career. He's fighting a top-ranked welterweight with an incredible win streak. If Bilal Mohamed is able to defeat Leon Edwards, he is right up there in the mix at the top echelon of that welterweight picture. So it's a win-win for everybody. And uh, yeah, I can't wait for it. And I'm just happy more than anything else that Leon's finally going to get a fight. Yeah, I mean it's two two decent guys from from that division. Two guys who just they don't they don't make a lot of fuss. They just get in there and uh, do the business inside the cage. Bilal Mohammed's riding a four fight win streak, and uh, as you say, the most recent win came um, earlier this month at UFC two fifty eight. He beat Diego Lima. Uh, looked really good in that fight. Looked really good. It was one of his best all round performances, I think. And uh, he he's long deserved to face top-ranked opposition or at least top-10 opposition, and he hasn't had it yet. You know, he hasn't really been given the chance. Now he's got a huge opportunity against against Leon Edwards. I have to say, kudos to both guys because Bilal Mohamed is, is, is accepting what is basically an instant turnaround, you know? He's got a little bit of preparation time, but he's basically going from one fight straight into a short training camp to get ready for Leon Edwards. And for Leon Edwards... He's putting all his chips on the table here because if he loses to Bilal Mohammed, he's got a bit of a reclamation job to do to get himself back up there again. But I think by accepting that fight, I think he's earned himself even more respect from the UFC's top brass. I know Dana White was saying um, how 
how how tough it's been for for Leon Edwards and how much respect he's got for him for sticking around and and really putting himself up, you know, agreeing to fight Hamzat Chimaev when no one else would. Um, you know, he effectively signed to fight him twice. And, uh, you know, the fight never never came to fruition. Now, as you say, if he beats Bilal Muhammad, give that man a shot at the title. He's been, he's been sat there waiting patiently for so, so long. He deserves it. He deserves it. So, um, and what you say about tough, I hadn't actually considered that. But you're absolutely right. It makes things even trickier and it would be it would be just just Leon Edwards luck to get himself into a position where he is effectively the next man in line and then everything's on hold for six months um and imagine you've got a, a really tight verdict at the end of that that title fight and then you've got rematch and you know what I mean I don't know I mean who knows we might even be talking interim title territory at some point you just don't know but I'm just glad to see Leon Edwards is getting back in there and I just I just cross my fingers, cross my toes, cross my eyes, cross everything that he stays clear of any injury, any illness, any mishaps in training, and that he can get in there 100% fit. As same thing for Bilal Mohammed, and they both get to go in there and do what they do best. And I'm sure that will be a, a superb matchup between two guys who love to come forward and throw hands. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, big, big fight for Leon Edwards, huge fight for Bilal Mohammed, And uh, that is going to be a lot of fun to watch. That one will be March 13th, uh, UFC Fight Night at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas. Yeah, and you mentioned the whole situation there with Usman and Masvidal, Simon. I thought by the time we sat down to record this week's episode, we'd be talking about official confirmation, the announcement of Tuff, the announcement of them fighting for the title you know, later on this year at a pay-per-view. We thought, looking at their social media output, you saw Kamara Usman say he's feeling generous and Mazdal's, you know, jabbing him back and forth. And all of a sudden, it looks like there's some politics being played now. And it, and it, and it seems as though the deal isn't done. I mean, it seems like it's close, but I mean, what do you think, Simon? Do, do, you, do you think this, this, ha this has any risk of falling apart at the 11th hour? Because if you're Kamara Usman, you just fought Gilbert Burns, a worthy contender. Now it's back to, right, I need to make sure as a prize fighter, I can maximize my career. And the way you maximize your career is fighting the biggest draw in your division, which is right now, Jorge Masvidal. Oh, and by the way, someone you just fought a year ago, and you've spent 25 minutes in there with him, and you must be feeling pretty confident about your abilities to defeat him a second time around. But what do you think, Simon? We saw Mazdal kind of chill out and kind of uh, just uh, put, put himself out of the equation following his massive win over Nate Diaz when he became the BMF champion. And it wasn't until, you know, what, six days' notice that he was able to finally fight for the title. And, you know, that's not good for him. But it seems like that was the only way he could get the financial deal that would make him happy with the UFC. And it feels like, from the way things are playing out, there's more of that happening this time around. Yeah, it's this This is happening all the time. It's just that with these two, it's a little bit more public. You know, we're a bit more aware of it. But these sorts of negotiate, this is all par for the course. This all happens. And I'm sure it happens with fights further down the card as well. But I think... When you're at the top, you've got a bit more leverage. The options are are certainly fewer. So the UFC is sort of duty-bound to put on the big fights. So obviously, the fighters involved, they can dig their heels in a little bit and make sure they get a good good, good slice of the pie for themselves. I think when push comes to shove, this fight will happen. Whether we get tough or not, I don't know. Um, but the thing, the thing with this is, if Kamara Usman is up for this, if Kamara Usman is happy to face either... Masvidal or Colby, then really the onus is on Masvidal at that point. If he says, look, here's my signature on the contract, stick either of those two names next to it and we're good to go. Whether it's with or without tough, you know, we can, we can talk about that separately. But I think if you do that as the champion, because you know that you beat up uh, George Masvidal, admittedly he came in on six days notice, but Usman, Usman would ba basically checked out he, he was flying home and then he was told, no, 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 
you're still fighting, get back. So he had to stop. He, he, he was on a layover in Dallas. Then he came back. He did a bit of pad work in Dallas, got on a plane, went back to Vegas, and then had to get himself back into the zone again to face a completely different opponent. So it wasn't an easy, easy ride for him either. So I think we'll see a better Usman in the rematch. I think we'll see a better Masvidal in the rematch. Clearly, there's some unfinished business there. Make the fight. But if there's any reason why they can't, if I was Colby Covington right now, I would be making myself as accessible as possible to the UFC. I'll be saying, guys, I'm ready for I'm ready. If you can't do the deal with Street Jesus, I'm ready to step in. And then because that's an instantly instant big selling, especially imagine tough with Colby on it as well. So I mean, there are there are definitely options there if you can get one of those. I mean, you need the champ. You need the champ. That's absolutely nailed on. But if you can get the champ nailed down, you can start playing the other two off each other. Then you get, you know, you you're you're going to get a winning deal out of it one way or another. Um, so in the end, I think we'll see Masvidal. I do. I think we'll see Masvidal. That's the fight everybody wants. Um, and it was interesting. Usman said that Colby has made a, a monumental error by not accepting a fight with Leon Edwards because that then could have put him exactly where he needs to be. Instead, it looks as if if Masvidal takes the fight with Usman, Colby's the man, you know, odd man out. Who's he going to fight? He's going to have to fight someone below him, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson or someone like that. So, yeah, there's lots of lots of moving parts as there are in all divisions. But with this one, it's uh, it's an interesting one. There's a lot of public negotiation going on. But I, I I really do think that when push comes to shove, we will see it, and I think it'll be tough as well. You know, one of the social media posts that Kamaru has been put out, Simon. It was a it was an image. And obviously, this is a photoshopped image, but it was an image of him on one shoulder holding his UFC welterweight championship. And on the other shoulder, it was him holding the BMF championship. So I wonder if it's not just the Mazadal camp trying to make sure this deal is financially sweet enough for them. I wonder if Kamaru Usman is trying to make sure that when they do fight a second time, if he's trying to angle so that the BMF belt is also on the line, because a it's fun, it's a as a backdoor way to kind of get that quote unquote champ champ status, and yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how this all plays out. Because yeah, that graphic in particular did make me raise my eyebrows in terms of what's being asked for behind the scenes here. Could be the first two belt fight title fight in modern day UFC history. I know um, we've seen UFC tournaments with a heavyweight title on it as well. But, yeah, imagine that. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the BMF champion here. It's the UFC champion here. Both the belts go into the pot, winner takes all. I love it. I think that will work a treat. The problem, I think the UFC would probably be a bit against this because once that happens, that belt's in circulation. You can't put it into circulation and then take it out again. The thing that they did from day one when they introduced it was, this is one of one. This is one of one. This is a one-shot deal. That's it. And I think the only way you can get around it is by saying we're going to do one of these every calendar year. And that belt needn't necessarily be with the uh, the divisional champion. That could be, you know, you could introduce that at a different a different point for more crowd crowd pleasing. Uh, fighters, you do, you know, you do a real sort of fan favorite fight, like they did with Masvidal and Diaz, and you stick a, you know, this is our BMF title of 2021 or whatever. But, but yeah, I don't know. I think that if I think that might be a bit a bit cheeky. I don't think they'll get that, but um, be a lot of fun though, wouldn't it? It'll be a lot of fun, and uh, <laughs> I wonder how uh, Nate Diaz would feel about the BMF belt being, you know, defended when he was the one that introduced it. He's been trying to get that rematch. Uh, since him and Mazda last fought, but uh, yeah, I agree with you, Simon. It's, listen, that belt was great. It was a, it was, like you said, it was a one on one, one of one, and it the the fight kind of came around very organically, and it was a lot of fun. Madison Square Garden, New York City, and it produced a, a big selling pay per view. It kind of was the crowning moment for the 2019 Fighter of the Year, in my opinion, in Jorge Masvidal. And yeah, I think I feel like if that comes into play again, then it yeah you're right. Then it becomes you know it enters circulation. Then there's a, a belt championship lineage, 
Uh, and to be honest with you, I think if the BMF belt's ever going to be brought back, it should just be for that Nate Diaz rematch because that he's the one that came up with the idea. He's he's the one that kind of really uh, coined the phrase and uh, and kind of got the the wheels in motion with the UFC to actually create that belt in the first place. Yeah, and once one of the existing divisional champions has got the belt, it effectively renders it useless anyway because they've already got the UFC belt. That then means that you've just got an extra belt. It doesn't actually carry any significance at that point. So, yeah. So uh, I don't know. I don't know if we'll uh, we'll see that belt again. But uh, it's all about the big gold um, Transformers style UFC belt that <laughs> they've now got. These I much prefer the old design. It hasn't grown on me. I prefer the old one, but. Um, Moving on to this weekend, two guys with designs on getting the heavyweight belt, Josino Rosenstruck and Cyril Garn will go head-to-head in the main event of UFC Fight Night 186, which takes place Saturday night, February 27th, live on UFC Fight Pass for the early portion of the card, and then BT Sport, of course, will be showing it live here in the UK. And... Looking down a fight card, lots of interesting matchups on the card, but really, Sandu, it is all about that main event. Two guys, we've got a, a bona fide knockout artist in Jazino Rosenstrike, who's had a bit of a tricky spell. Um, you know, he's he's been absolutely blitzing his way through the opposition, and then all of a sudden, bang, gets knocked out viciously in 20 seconds by Francis Ngannou. All that momentum just pumped the brakes a little bit. He bounced back. He beat up on Junior Dos Santos, who's now looking at decidedly past his best at this point um, at UFC 252. So what we need to know now is, is Rosenstruck now back on the up? Is he heading back towards a potential shot at the title? They're giving him a really, really dangerous assignment in Cyril Garn, who is he's another one who we don't really know how good he is yet. You know, we haven't seen him fighting at that sort of level yet. You know, he's he's done he's done incredibly well thus far. He also has beaten up on Junior Dos Santos. Unfortunately, that's what they've got in common. Um, you know, they've both they've both finished Junior Dos Santos, but that's really all we've seen from Cyril Garn so far. He's beaten some uh, some lower level guys. Tanner Bose is a good durable guy. He went the distance with him, finishes Junior Dos Santos, but now he's in that upper echelon. So which one is going to be the one to make that big step forward? I think there's more potential from Garn, but I think we know a lot more about Rosenstrike. So pick your poison, Sandu. Which way is this one going to go? Because I genuinely have no idea. Yeah, it's a tricky one, Simon. And I feel like with Cyril Garn, this kind of leads me into thinking just about French MMA in general, Simon. I think the, the second France legalized mixed martial arts You've seen Bellator and the UFC A sign a lot of French talent, but then really put the rocket boosters on them and put them in situations in, you know, where their where their bouts are on the card, who they're fighting, to see, you know, I think it's a it's a, almost like an arms race. It's like between Bellator and the UFC, who can produce the first real legit major French-born star in mixed martial arts. Because I feel like that's a market a they can both exploit, and you know we've seen, you know, when it comes to Connor and you know in Ireland and Khabib and Dagestan, and you know the list goes on and on. When you have Michael Bisping for the UK, when you can have that one guy that has the potential to become a champion and is the first to represent that country in your organization and go all the way to become a champion, that opens up a lot of doors, whether it's broadcast partners and sponsors. Um, and obviously, when COVID is not an issue, holding events with thousands in attendance and revenue streams from ticket sales and all the rest of it. So this kind of brings me back to Cyril Gahn because you're right, Simon. He's 7-0. and He's 7-0. and And he's now got himself into a situation where he is fighting Jarzinho Rosenstroke in a main event situation. Rosenstroke right now, and again, the, the rankings haven't been updated since... Um, the Lewis Blades fight um, went down over the weekend. But currently, he's ranked number three. Massive opportunity for Cyril Gard, who himself is ranked number seven in the UFC heavyweight rankings, and he's only had seven professional MMA fights. It's fascinating to me. Now, that being said, Simon, he's a perfect 4-0 four, four and four, four and oh in the UFC, 7-0 overall. But 
I'm, I'm with you, Simon. We know a lot more about Jarzinho Rosenstruck. Number one, for starters, he's got double figures in terms of professional MMA bouts. Um, we've seen him you know, come back from a devastating loss to Francis Ngannou. So we know mentally he's tough and he's able to bounce back. But prior to that, Simon, talk about an absolutely flawless record. Prior to the, the Ngannou loss, this guy was just knocking fighters out left, right, and center. Um, the one that comes to mind right away is the Alistair Overeem fight where he split his lip and mouth completely wide open. Uh, that made for a, a very gory image. If, if you're going to put you know put a gun to my head, Simon, I think I'm just going to be leaning towards Rosenstruck here. And again, it's just because we have more information. He's a bit more battle-tested. He's got more uh, you know, experience. And I think sometimes that can... Um, you know, really help you when it comes to a main event situation. He's been in a main event spot with the UFC before. This is the first time Cyril Gunn is going to be in a main event spot. The spotlight's going to be on him. I'm sure he'll be feeling the pressure of the French MMA community, hoping he can be their guy. And they'll be, I'll be curious to see if he can actually live up to that hype. Uh, but it's a fascinating main event and probably one that's maybe flying a little bit under the radar when you look at the overall schedule of events and fights that we have coming up. But I, I don't expect this one to go the distance, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, it is It is a fascinating one. I know they're both relatively new in terms of their contender status in the UFC heavyweight division, but the difference in overall combat sport experience is huge. This is going to be Cyril Gann's 15th professional combat sports fight. He's had seven as a kickboxer. Seven as a mixed martial artist. He's won every single one of them. Josino Rosenstreich, this will be professional fight number 98. <laughs> he has had 85 professional kickboxing fights. His record reads 76 and 8. He's only been knocked out twice in kickboxing and once in MMA. And get this, in 76 kickboxing wins, he has won 64 of them by knockout. And 10 of his 11 MMA fights with those piddly little four-ounce gloves on, 10 out of 11 M, uh, uh, wins as M in, in MMA, I can't even speak, are also knockouts. I feel like I've taken a shot myself. He's, he's absolutely devastating when it comes to punch power. But that is what he does. He is a stand-up fighter. No, Like, pure and simple, he is a stand-up fighter. Cyril Garn is not. Cyril Garn is much more well-rounded. He's just much greener. We haven't seen that much of him. He's got three by, three wins by KO, three wins by submission. He's gone to the scorecards once. I've actually gone out on a limb with my MMA junkie picks, and I've gone with Cyril Garn just because I think he has more ways to win. The two big X factors in this fight are how good is Cyril Garn's chin because it's going to get tested in this fight, and also um, is he capable of getting Jarzino Rosenstroke off his feet? They are the two big questions. And if he can answer those two questions, I think he can win. Um, but it's interesting because Garn, I think, might be the betting favourite. And I find that slightly surprising, given the, the difference in experience and the fact that Rosenstreich has such devastating knockout power. And he doesn't get – he does. it's not like he, he creeps up on people. He finishes people early. So it's going to be interesting to see how this one goes down. I, it's, it's a real don't blink main event. I'll be amazed if this fight goes a distance. You watch it go five rounds now. I've said that, but yeah. I really, I re the last time I was this convinced the fight wasn't going to go to distance was Derek Lewis versus Francis Ngannou. And that fight absolutely stunk the place out in, in international fight week. It was a terrible, terrible fight. This will not be a terrible fight. I'm going on the record now. This is going to be a good fight, but I suspect it might not last that long. So, uh, I'm, I'm leaning towards, Leaning towards Bong Gamin, Cyril Garn, um, but Josino Rosenstreich has all the power in the world. So um, I'm looking forward to that. That's the main event. Other, very, very quickly, just to quickly run you through, Sandu, Nikita Krylov versus Magomed Ankalaev. Ankalaev, I've been super high on as a potential light heavyweight contender and maybe even a champion of the future at 205 pounds. He beats Nikita Krylov. He's going to be getting a top contender next. And that's what I think will happen. That's the co-main event. Montana De La Rosa versus Mayra Bueno Silva. Pedro Munoz versus Jimmy Rivera is a good one at bantamweight. Angela Hill uh, is, is set for action. I'm not 100% sure off the top of my head who she's fighting. My sheet here says she's facing Felice Herrig. I'm 99.9% .9 sure she isn't facing Felice Herrig. I think she's facing somebody else. 
potentially a newcomer. Alex Caceres is taking on Kevin Kroom. Striker versus submissions. That'll be a good one as well. And uh, there's loads loads of good stuff on the undercard. Gillespie versus Hernandez at lightweight's good. And Dustin Jacoby versus Maxim Grishin in the first fight of the night on Fight Pass might just bring us the fight of the night. Do not miss that. That'll be a stand-up war. So loads going on, Sandu. Loads going on, but it really is all about that main event. And uh, yeah, I don't think we'll have to wait too long to see the result once the once they uh, once they get started. But uh, that I think is pretty much all we've got, isn't it? That's that's your lot this week, Simon. And just to kind of quickly cap off on what you just said, given what we just saw this past weekend with the heavyweight action, these heavyweights aren't messing around. You know, we we had a bunch of heavyweight fights this past weekend, and they all delivered the goods. So I'm expecting Rosenstruck and Garnet to to do to do the same. And uh, and like I said, overall as an event as a card, probably you know flying a, a little bit under the radar. But I mean, when you look at the big the big title fights that we got coming just around the corner, um, you're going to get sometimes you know cards like this. But sometimes these are the kind of cards that you know if you just you know stick around, pay attention. It might may produce a, a, an up and coming star, a prospect, and you know, sometimes these are the kind of cards that can really deliver the goods. Fingers crossed, though, Simon. Not too many cancellations, and, and again, I think we've got to talk about the rough with the smooth. Once again, every week these events in Vegas, we've got some casualties, whether it's COVID related, weight cutting related. I mean, talk about weight cutting issues. I mean, Jesus Christ, we had we had a guy come in an entire weight class overweight last weekend. Um, that was horrendous stuff there. But um, but yeah, so fingers crossed uh, this week, there's um, minimal, hopefully no cancellations whatsoever. But that's a lot this week, Simon. Everyone can catch us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you capture and listen to your podcast. If you are listening to us on Apple, do us a favor, rate and review us. It really goes a long way in uh, helping us get found on the platform but ultimately we would love for you guys to join us on youtube that's right we are on youtube currently it's an audio only product uh, but if you like listening to um, your podcast via a youtube player we're available there go there subscribe to the brit pack on youtube it's going to be a video product very very soon we're super excited about taking this podcast and the show to the next level and for us that is a video component and of course you can always jo join us on substack we are the britpack.substack.com and finally you can always just go to the website the britpackmma.com and from the website you can find us on social media you can find us on all the various platforms and if you want to follow either myself or simon on social media simon is at simon head sport on facebook and instagram and he is at Simon Head on Twitter. And yours truly, I am at Sandu MMA on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That pretty much wraps up all family business. Just to put a cap on uh, this weekend's event, I did a very quick bit of research. Angela Hill is going to fight Ashley Yoda. So for anyone walking away from this going, they didn't know who, who she was going to fight. Angela Hill is going to fight Ashley Yoda. And uh, that fight was booked, I think, literally a day ago, I think. So um, just to clarify that, should be a fun card this weekend. Should be a fun yeah. card. And and just to kind of quickly note, it, it's hard for us to even keep track of fights sometimes, Simon, because during COVID, there are fights being changed at the last minute. And, you know, we had violent Bob Ross. He was trying to angle for a fight hours before um, or hours into the broadcast last weekend. It's It's tough out there. And again, God bless the UFC and Bellator and everybody else that are able to put these events together to give the guys and girls in the fight game an opportunity to compete and earn a paycheck. But it's very, very volatile. Um, so fingers crossed, again, as long as the main events, co-main events, title fights, those don't fall apart, the rank and file fighters will figure themselves out. Absolutely. Should be a fun weekend of fights. And don't forget, once we get through this weekend, the run-up begins to UFC 259. Not one, not two, three title fights coming your way. And don't you worry, we will preview each and every single one of them next time we get behind a microphone for the Brit Pack. Enjoy the fights, take care of yourselves, and we'll speak to you next week. Yeah.